Hello, my name is Dr. Katherine Kiefer Newman, and this is my podcast, Lost in the Rabbit Hole, The Dark Side of Folktales. I have a doctorate in mythological studies and a master of fine arts and creative writing, but long before any of that, I've loved folktales. Folktales, fairy tales, myths, legends, urban legends, all things story. And this is a podcast about some of the lesser known things, the hidden things, the things found deep inside of tales that we perhaps unknowingly give over to our children. But these stories, they never let us fully go. They haunt the corners of our dreams, stalk us in our fantasies. We can't shake them loose. And the rabbit hole, it's just an ordinary thing. We pay no mind to it sitting out there in the corner of the garden or the middle of a field or maybe tucked into the roots of a tall tree. We pay no mind to it at all. That is, until we fall in. Join me as I lose myself in this unknown space, this place, this rabbit hole, and rediscover so many of the things left behind. But before we begin, I want to give a warning. I will be talking about the grotesque, foul, horrific things left out of children's versions of folktales. There is violence in these stories and broken societal taboos. If you are at all vulnerable to such information, please turn back. This is part two of episode three of Lost in the Rabbit Hole, Getting Lost, Being Found. Before the Brothers Grimm, Marie Catherine Dolnoy's tale, published in 1697, was a variant of Little Brother, Little Sister. Her tale was called Cunning Cinders. If this title reminds you of Cinderella, that's for a good reason. Dolnoy's version is what is called a Cinderella tale type, or more specifically, the persecuted heroine tale type. But in Cunning Cinders, the tale begins like an abandoned children or Hansel and Gretel tale type. In fact, Dolnoy has been credited with creating most of the fairy tales that came out of France that we know today. Uh, Perrault tends to get the credit for that, but a lot of what he published, he lifted from other sources, and many of them were her. <laughs> so Cinders, or in French, Finette, uh, is one of three daughters of a very poor king. The desperate king and queen are unable to afford their teenage daughters, which anyone who's had teenage daughters knows. Yeah. <laughs> so they take them out into the Tanglewood one day, and they leave them there. Dolnoy's tale is a really frivolous, fluffy kind of romp. It winds around and through an enchanted forest, and it ends up in an ogre's castle. Finette, or Cinders, and her sisters, they're spoiled. They whine through most of the tale. And one of their biggest issues is that while they're lost in the forest, they have to eat wild cabbages and lettuces instead of the food they're used to. So when Cinders finds an acorn... Her sisters want to eat it, and they fight over it. Finally, though, she gets it away from them, and she plants it. The acorn is magic, of course, and it grows into a beautiful tree. 
the top branches reach high into the clouds. In this tale, there are talking horses, a fairy godmother, and a castle of ogres committing heinous, ogreish acts. The second half of the tale becomes the Cinderella variant with a ball, elaborate gowns and jewels, and a prince. It was possibly inspired by the story of Rhodopis, retold by the Greek uh, geographer Strabo sometime around 7 BC and AD 23. Now, I want to take a just a minute and talk about the tale types. I keep saying abandoned children tale types, which is what Hansel and Gretel or little brother and little sister is. It's an abandoned children tale type. What's always so fun about these tales is to, to see really how often they're mashups of all of these other kinds of tales. But they all have a core running narrative. For many of the abandoned children tales, we have three recurrent patterns, which I've mentioned previously in this episode. But just to kind of lay it out there for you, we have the children are lost in some manner in the forest. Uh, They meet an ogre. There's a show me how moment within the tale. And the children usually return home. Now, we saw with Jan and Hannah that the children decide to take ownership of old Vera's house. But Otherwise, it has all of the other elements. In the case of Cunning Cinders, there isn't exactly a show-me-how, but there is a moment when Cinders asks the ogre to test the heat of the oven with his tongue, and in that moment, she's throwing a whole lot of butter into the pot. I say it works as the same device. There's also the early part where she leaves items to mark her way back home. They're jewels and ball gowns, but... (laughs) So even if you don't think that the ogre's tongue in boiling butter is enough of a show-me-how, there are some other elements of the abandoned children tales. I guess you'll have to decide for yourself. Now, remember how I said that Perrault possibly lifted his tales from Madame Dolnoy? Well, in the same year, 1697, he published a collection of seven other stories, and in this collection was his version of the Abandoned Children tale, or the Hansel and Gretel tale, and he called it Hop on My Thumb. This is how his begins. Once upon a time, there lived a woodcutter and his wife. They had seven children, all boys. The eldest was but ten years old, and the youngest only seven. People were astonished that the woodcutter had had so many children in such a short time, but his wife was very fond of children and never had less than two at a time. This version has an ogre. There are seven league boots that magically allow the wearer to go great distances, and the youngest son, called Little Thumb, is the one who saves the day. This version has elements of other tales, including Jack and the Beanstalk variants. Now, an even earlier version is Jean-Baptiste Basile's Nenelo and Nenela, published in 1635. In Basile's tale, we have a whole different class of folks, and we also have a wicked stepmother. Basile begins his story in this way. Woe to him who thinks to find a governess for his children by giving them a stepmother. He only brings into his house the cause of their ruin. There never yet was a stepmother who looked kindly on the children of another, or if by chance such a one were ever found, she would be regarded as a miracle and be called a white crow. 
But beside all of those whom you have heard, I will now tell you of another to be added to the list of heartless stepmothers whom you will consider well-deserving the punishment she purchased for herself with ready money. So an even earlier version was actually found from the Alsace area of France. This one was published in 1557, and it is called The Little Earth Cow. This one has two sisters named Amy and Gretel. In this version, there's a stepmother who is jealous of the favorite child, Gretel, and so enlists the little sister, Amy, to help get rid of Gretel. This version has elements of the goose girl with the wicked stepmother killing the magical talking earth cow. But Gretel was bid by the earth cow to plant the earth cow's horn, the tail, and the shoe. And three days later, a tree bearing magical apples grows tall. The apples save a nobleman's ill son, and in gratitude, the son and Gretel get married. I'll admit, I couldn't find what exactly an earth cow is, except a regular cow with a fancy name. (laughs) There, There is another variant of Hansel and Gretel that you might know. It isn't as old as the Alsace version, but it is rather sad. And, um, well, it was originally referred to as the Norfolk tragedy, and it later became called Babes in the Wood. The tale was first published anonymously as a ballad in 1595. So, again, it's not as old as Little Earth Cow. Uh, It wasn't very well known until about 1879 when Randolph Caldecott, yes, that Randolph Caldecott, illustrated and published it in a children's book of rhymes. This is the version most people are familiar with. The tale is of two small children, the boy with no name, and the girl just called Jane. They are two and three years old when their mother and father die, leaving the children in the care of an uncle and an aunt. The uncle, wanting the inheritance, gives the children to ruffians to be killed and then tells his wife that he's sending them to a nice family in London. The children are thrilled to be riding into the woods with these two friends of their uncles. They laugh and tease and giggle, being very cheerful and very well-behaved. When it's time for the men to murder them, one of the ruffians refuses. The second ruffian kills the first and then takes the children deeper into the wood where he leaves them. The children wander about finding berries to eat. It grows dark and they huddle together at the base of the tree, exhausted from wandering and crying for their uncle. And that is where they die. The robins take pity on them and cover their tiny bodies with leaves. Now, what most people remember in Hansel and Gretel, and very different from Babes in the Wood, is the unique motif of the candy house. As we've seen, not every variant has it. In fact, even the Grimm's made the house out of bread and cake with no mention of candy or gingerbread until later. Little brother and little sister stumble onto the house by accident, maybe. Remember, Jack Zipes points out that there's often a connection to the stepmother and the witch in the woods, and when one dies, the other dies. In our tale, Hansel and Gretel walk for days, lost. They go deeper and deeper into the woods and don't recognize anything around them. How many days they wandered, few could say. Finally, without any hope of finding their way home, they hear the call of a bird. 
They follow the song and come to a break in the wood. The bird flies off, but not before leading them to a path made of sugar sparkling in the sunshine. And the children can't believe their eyes. Hansel is first to throw himself onto the path, tongue out, licking furiously. He worries it, snarling and growling like a little feral fox. Gretel is more cautious. She offers that they should follow the path to see where it might go. Frustrated that he couldn't eat the sugar, Hansel agrees, but his stomach rumbles loud and furious. The path bends toward the north, and as they come round, they behold a cottage made all of bread, the roof seeming to be cake. How could it be? They wonder. Hansel grabs Gretel's hand and pulls her up to the house. Let's help ourselves, sister. We can have a good meal here. They taste the slats and shingles, sample the window trim, even the glass, which seems to be more of the sugar that was out on the road. They're there for hours, scraping teeth and gnawing jaws. Then a gentle voice calls out from inside this amazing house. Nibble, nibble, little mouse. Who is nibbling at my house? It's a kindly old woman. She pops out her tiny door, smile ready, her face so happy that you cannot see her eyes for the wrinkles and crinkles from her smiling. Still, the children are startled and gasp, dropping pieces of the house that they were chewing, mouths hanging open in fear. Oh, children, do not be scared, she says. I am but an old woman, poor, lonely, living out here all by myself, just longing for company. Come inside and let me feed you more than just bread and sugar. We shall have a rare feast to celebrate your visit. The children follow her in, taken in by her happy face and kindly voice, and, of course, because they're still so hungry. Once inside, she slams the door and locks it, startling the children. Oh, now, now, darlings, you are all but dead a minute ago. She pushes them toward the kitchen table, shoving each into a chair. A little-known fact about witches is that they have red eyes and cannot see very far. They rely utterly on their sense of smell. This one takes long whiffs of each child and decides that the boy will prove a better meal. So the girl can be put to work. Being a meal for me is no different than some wild animal eating you up, she says. But I will feed you first. The children cry, but it ended in nothing. The witch ordered Gretel to crack some eggs and pour some milk. Gretel did as she was bid, and also fried up some ham and other such foods, making a feast from out of the witch's kitchen supplies. Gretel says, You have so much food for only you. And the witch responded, I do, I do, and an addict full of people's cast-offs, too. Now, what she wasn't telling the children is that when travelers and tradespeople or other kinds of wanderers happened past her cottage, the witch would entice them in and make a meal of them, keeping their supplies and other belongings. No one knew how long the witch had been doing this, as witches live hundreds of years, well, unless someone sets fire to them. Gretel finished cooking the meal and was next bid to do the washing and sweeping, while the witch sat across from Hansel and watched him eat plate after plate of food. 
When he was done with his meal and Gretel was done with her chores, the witch took them into the root cellar, and before they could say anything, she had poor little Hansel locked in a cage that neither had noticed before. The witch ordered, Put out your finger, boy. He did as he was bid, and she felt the fatty parts around his knuckles. She said, "Mm, needs fattening. She ordered Gretel back up the ladder, shoving and pushing from behind, and she said, you will sleep where I can keep an eye on you in my kitchen. If you're good, I may let you eat my table scraps before I kill you. That night and every night for a full four weeks, she tied Gretel to a post next to the kitchen fire only untying Gretel in the morning so that she could cook the food for Hansel and clean the cottage. Gretel spent her days darning and mending the witch's clothes, dusting the witch's shelves, sorting the witch's supplies, and tending to the witch's vegetable garden. She had been a small girl, underfed most of her life, but here she became strong from regular meals and hard work. The witch, meanwhile, was busy baking little cookie soldiers to paste with frosting to the outside of the cottage walls, or maybe she was up in her loft doing who knows what. Gretel tended house and tended to her brother, who stayed locked in the root cellar, eating all day and doing nothing more. One morning, the witch pronounced it was time to roast the boy. She busied herself with the big bread oven around back. This was an elaborate stone affair, surely, the way that the witch had made the rest of her house. It was bigger than any oven Gretel had seen, and it took much firewood to heat enough. The witch had Gretel go out into the forest to cut the wood. If you run off, she warned, I will find you, and I won't wait to cook your brother. Gretel did as she was bid. Upon her return, the witch was pleased with the load of firewood, but She did not trust Gretel to lay the wood properly, so the witch did it herself. She used her flint to light the wood and then fanned the flame to get it to rise. When the flames had calmed down and the oven was just about right, she ordered Gretel over. Climb in, girl. See if the oven is hot enough to put your piglet little brother into. Gretel knew this was a trap. So instead of following orders, she backed up a few paces and said, I'm not sure what to do next. The witch said, well, climb up here and look into the oven. Gretel said, well, I can't possibly do that. I'm not sure what the oven is going to look like. The witch said, oh, my heavens, you'll do what I'm doing now, but lean in a little bit. Gretel said, oh, lean in, climbed up behind the witch, and before the witch could do anything else, Gretel pushed with all of her might, shoving the witch into the oven, and then slammed the door shut. The witch called out, you beast of a child, how could you outwit me? How indeed, thought Gretel, how indeed. She waited there until there were no more screams from the witch. Only then did she know that the witch was truly dead. Gretel climbed down into the root cellar and unlocked Hansel's little cell. The light from the open door made the boy blink. It sparked in the streaks of tears that ran down his dirty cheeks. He called out, Is it over, sister? His voice was soft from unuse. It is over, brother. We can go home now. 
But before they left the cottage, they made sure to fill bags with items the witch had stolen. Bedding and curtains made of flax, pans and pots and boxes of spices, foodstuffs that the children had never known, and clothes in the richest materials. Gretel wept when she found a wooden box with letters and maps in a secret compartment, for in the compartment was a stack of gold coins and jewels. And then Hansel found a goose in a cage. He begged to let Gretel keep it. Yes, yes, we will give it to our mother, she said. But Hansel shook his head. No, Gretel, we will let this goose free from the cage. If it stays with us, it will be my friend, not my meal. Well, Gretel saw the need in his heart, and she agreed to this. All of the items they could fit were piled on the wood cart that had had the wood for the oven previously. The goose settled on top with a grateful honk, deciding to stay with the children. The children closed the door of the witch's house and headed back down the sugar path, back the way they had come. They walked for hours, the sun setting and then rising again. Each took turns, resting on the cart beside the goose, the other pulling the wagon along. Each time they came to a crossroad in the great woods, the goose would honk once for right and twice for left. They did as the goose bid and kept going until finally the woods became familiar. The last bit of their journey, the children ran faster and faster, one pushing the little cart, the other pulling it. And then they spied their home and they stopped. Just then, the door opened and their father came out. He was gaunt and looked to have aged years rather than weeks. He saw the children and dropped to his knees. He called out, Oh God, why do you torment me with visions of my lost and beloved children? Why do you punish me for my bad actions? The children, though, rushed to their father, crying, No, no, it's really us. It's us. We're home. We're safe. Father wrapped them in his arms and held them while they all sobbed with sadness and joy, all of them together. Finally, Gretel pulled away and asked, But where is our mother? The woodcutter pointed to a small grave marker under one of the sentry trees. He said, The lack of food made her weak, made us both weak. When the illness came to her, it was swift. Her last words were to beg for your forgiveness. The children showed their father all of the things they had brought from the witch's house, and they told him of their adventures as the three of them ate the food and made plans to purchase more. They were wiser for their time in the forest, and they were sadder about the choices that were made. Even father admitted that he was so wrong. But somehow, they all lived happily ever after. Thank you for joining me on this third episode in two parts of Abandoned Children's Stories or Hansel and Gretel or Little Brother, Little Sister Tale Types. I have to admit, I've had some technical difficulties uh, putting this episode together and deciding to break it into two parts was strangely difficult as well. But what I most struggled with were the story elements, the historical background on a story that had always been one of my favorites. I've spent time with this story in the past, but not as much as I did this this go around. And digging into it and reading the history of the Great Famine in Europe was just incredibly troubling and disturbing. So I want to say I appreciate you for coming along 
for the ride on this with me. It was really nice knowing I wasn't in this alone. This has been Lost in the Rabbit Hole, The Dark Side of Folktales. Thank you so much for listening. In future episodes, I will explore many other dark, shadowy corners of some of our favorite tales. So please, if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing. You can also find Lost in the Rabbit Hole on Twitter, on Instagram, or you can visit my webpage at catkeefernewman.org, where I will have updates on all projects that I'm working on. I am Dr. Katherine Kiefer Newman, and this was Lost in the Rabbit Hole.